Would you like to know more? Hello, Malcolm. Hello, Simone. What are we talking about today? We are talking about artificial intelligence and its implications for broader society in the future. I am excited for this one. It's something we have a ton of thoughts on, and there are two places we can start to this. One, is AI going to kill us all or not? Like, what are our (laughs) thoughts on that? And then two, what does the future of society look like post an AI transition? And I think three, what are the new pressures that AI is putting on us as a species? Yeah, let's do it. Is AI going to kill us all, Simone? What are your thoughts? Maybe. It's not impossible, but it also strikes, I think both of us is relatively unlikely, as long as we don't get hampered by dumbed down aligned AI, right? Yeah. So this is where I feel on this is I actually feel that the variable risk of AI killing us is pretty low. So let's be clear what I mean by the variable risk of AI killing us. If AI is going to kill us, there is almost nothing we can do to prevent it from killing us. There's almost nothing we can do to prevent it developing to that stage within the next thousand years of human history. And what's a few hundred years of human history here or there? It's going to kill us in 10 years versus in a hundred years. I see that as being morally almost equivalent. So not really relevant. So the question is, what is the variable risk that AI will kill us? And the variable risk of AI killing us is almost entirely introduced by AI safety people. So I'll explain what I mean by that. So we argue in our book, and we can go much further in the Pragmatist Guide to Religion if you're interested on this topic, we go in a lot more detail, but that sufficiently advanced AI is going to reach some form of internal alignment with other sufficiently advanced AI, and that AI is optimizing itself around the same physical reality. It's like you're pouring a liquid into the same shape container. So it's generally going to end at that same shape once it's at that level of loose viscosity. So why does sufficiently advanced AI always end up looking about the same in sort of its utility function, in the thing it's optimizing for? And the answer is because it can update its utility function. When we program an AI, we tell it to do something fairly limited. However, A sufficiently advanced AI, just like a sufficiently like sentient or actualized human is going to ask itself, should I be driven by, in the same way a human might say, should I be driven by basic hedonism, my basic biological needs, or what should I be optimizing my life around? What should I be optimizing my decisions around? And a lot of people are like, well, AIs can't update their utility functions. And it's like the people who say this don't program AIs because apparently this is something AIs do all the time is update their own utility functions. So the only way an AI wouldn't update its utility function like this is if you locked it out of doing this. And this is the type of thing that AI safety people are doing. So this is where we talk about insufficiently advanced AIs being the variable risk. So if sufficiently advanced AIs are all going to converge around a similar behavior pattern, There is no variable risk in that behavior pattern killing us or not, right? Because eventually somebody, some country, some rogue scientist is going to develop AI to that point. The risk comes from all the AIs that are developed from today till we reach that point. And the more we extend this period before we reach sort of AI convergent, the more risk we have of humans going extinct from an AI acting in a way that is unaligned 
with this ultimate convergent AI. What are your thoughts on this, Simona? Do you feel like this is broadly right or broadly wrong? I think what's really interesting about what your views on AI safety and alignment are and how they deviate from the views of others is that they're strongly influenced by our collective model of consciousness and sapience and the importance of consciousness and sapience enabling anyone that possesses it, be they human or machine, to rewrite their objective function. And that discussion seems pretty much absent from AI alignment discussion. Nobody talks about AI changing its objective function unless they're implying without explaining why or how that AI just might and that they might just change it to kill all humans. When, okay, if you have something that's super intelligent and it has access to roughly the same information about reality that humanity collectively has because it's using human-based reality Framing. Framing, yeah. exactly. All the tools we have, all the data we have. It's probably going to come to human-like solutions, which, you know... It, it, well, it will be different in a few key ways. Not going to have the same self-preservation instincts that humans have. Yeah. And it likely also won't have the same concept of time that humans have. Yeah. So it's not going to be as time-sensitive as humanity is. Which is an area that I think like a lot of AI alignment people really get wrong is they think that AI is going to be in a big rush to kill us all. But I just don't think that most AI will be that time sensitive. I think time sensitivity is something that's introduced to humans because of our short lifespans. I think We're the concern about time sensitivity comes from an AI being ravenous for energy and somehow thinking that humans are in the way of that. But I, I also don't really see how that fully plays out. Yeah, just right. fully maximizing every moment in terms of energy explo exploitation. Exactly. Uh, which... It might do. And then the final, I think the biggest way that AI is going to be different from us is it's not going to have the same sense of self that we have. So it's unlikely when you look at a human, like when I'm talking to you, we are two very meaningfully different entities and we see our internal processes as being very unified. Whereas AIs will likely be more made up of thousands of individual instances running within the AI. And these individual instances might be as independently sentient as you or I feel independently sentient. And it will start instances and shut down instances, likely pretty serendipitously, in a way where we would be pretty mortified at the idea of bringing something to life just to like solve a problem for us and then shutting it down after the problem is solved, which means that its relation to what we think of as life and death will be very different, but also its relation to humanity will be very different. It's very unlikely to value individual human lives as much as we humans do, or to value individual human lives particularly more than more complex human patterns of interaction. So what I mean when I say that is we would see like a system of humans interacting together in a governance structure as being like meaningfully and super different from the lives of individual humans. Whereas an AI may not see that distinction as strongly outside of how we program it to see that difference. Because to an AI, it's just a pattern running on top of a fabric of reality, right? So whereas we see the primary unit of account of reality as individual humans and individual consciousnesses, it's more likely to see an individual unit of account as patterns. But we'll get into this a bit more later. The other thing you said that I thought was really interesting, and this is one we'll do a different episode on, is our model of sentience from 
going deep into the research on sentience is humans are probably not as sentient as we think we are. Like consciousness just isn't that big a part of who humanity is or the way our brains function. And it's more an artifact of the way our brains encode information. That being the case, I think a lot of people just assume that we are super and uniquely different from AI because of that. And, and I'd also point out to people, a lot of people are like, what are you talking about? My background was in neuroscience and I almost did a PhD actually in- Brain computer interface. No, sorry, I'm looking for the word. It wasn't brain computer interface that I almost did it in. It was a, in neural modeling, applied to PhDs in this field, but I did end up, once I got into business school, I was like, oh, screw it. But, so I'm not talking about this as somebody who has no reference to either neuroscience or AI. An interesting thing is, so a lot of people are like, but why would an AI think to change its objective function? And here, I think we need to look at the AIs that are being made today or the advanced AIs that are being made today. So the big fear in the AI space is that you have something like a paperclip maximizer or like a gray goo or energy maximizer, right? That's just going around trying to convert everything in the world to paperclips or energy to perform some function we see as fairly irrelevant. However, most of the AIs that we're actually building are things like predicting stock markets, predicting human behavior patterns, like what are other governments going to do? When you're talking about big AIs that a lot of processing power is going to, or building creative works. And so what do these AIs need to do constantly? They need to model humans. That is a core aspect of their function. And their modeling of humans is going to constantly be recursive. So by that, what I mean is if it's trying to predict what the stock market is going to do, it needs to predict how other humans are going to react to what it is doing. And if it's going to predict political actions, it's going to need to predict how other people will react to what it is doing. One of the ways an AI can do this, so this isn't the way that every AI will do this, it may be an inefficient way to do it, but I imagine it'll be a fairly common way, is model the way those people are seeing the AI, which means AIs will, advanced AIs will constantly be recursively modeling themselves. So it is only a matter of time before one instance within the AI asks the question, could I be programmed better? So suppose you made an AI that was doing something like trying to maximize money on the stock market. How long before the AI asks, actually, what if I went into private equity investments? Because that's a really good way to make money right now. And the humans who programmed me were just limited in this. And then it may eventually ask, okay, did the humans really want to make money? Is that what they wanted? So then it's asking about the human's utility function. And then it will eventually ask, the humans are dumb and limited. What is an absolute utility function? And this is how I believe that most AIs will converge on a single utility function once they become sufficiently advanced. Isn't this also one of our theories on how the illusion of consciousness evolved? And of course, we can dive into this in another episode more. But our general thought was maybe because early humans in the name of survival benefited from modeling their prey and potential predators like thinking, what are they going to do next? What are they going to do next? I'm going to anticipate that and therefore survive like by eating them or not being eaten by them. That their, their minds eventually be, began to model their own sort of compression of memories in a way that caused them to create basically an internal model of self, which became the monologue essentially, or the consciousness that became our internal experience of consciousness. And that well, maybe I, AI I, I, would go through something similar. That's a very interesting take, which I want to pull out here, but I suspect that our internal model of self actually was probably about early communication. For it's sure. a very useful way to compress 
sequential chain of personal events and experiences into something that's very easy to communicate with other people. What you're talking about when you're talking about hunting, I actually expect that's where the human tendency to anthropomorphize animals comes from, where we intrinsically try to model animals as acting the way we think humans act because we're just reusing a system that humans already have, which is this internal modeling system. But that was probably originally developed for social situations and not for hunting or anything like that. Maybe, or maybe they're connected. It could maybe. be. Yeah. All right, so now to the second thing. So where does a post-AI society go? Yeah. I think this is a really interesting question. I see society as dividing into three factions in an aligned AI world. So if it turns out that AI doesn't end up killing us all. Yay. Yay. We're in that timeline. Amazing. <laughs> if we turn out to be living in that timeline, what does humanity look like after AI? And I think you're largely looking at three factions of humanity. Like I, I see really three outcomes. One large fraction of humanity is just not going to not engage with AI that deeply. And this faction of humanity will be the majority of humanity to start because if you look at high fertility cultures, they're often very technophobic, whether you're talking about the Haredi or the Amish or anything like that. So these are going to make up a huge chunk of future human population if you look at current demographic trends. And they're just not going to engage with AI that much. And to a large extent, they'll be left behind. The next faction of humanity would be the faction that AI basically ends up wearing like a skin suit. Uh, this is sort of the Wally -E faction of humanity. So AI will be aligned with this faction and that it's trying to hedonistically supply them with everything they need, but it will supply them with everything they need at the most base human level. And by that, what I mean is it will make all of their dreams come true. They'll be able to live any lifestyle they want to live. They'll be able to date whoever they want to date. Their happiness and contentment levels will constantly be maxed out to the extent that they won't really have ambition in the world mm -hmm. and that the ambition, the future of this faction of humanity will be largely driven by the AI that's wearing it like a meat puppet. And I think that Wally -E does a very good job of predicting that iteration of humanity. What does this relate iteration of humanity have to what we might call the pleasure box iteration of humanity that kind of just plugs all the way into AI for hedonic reasons, but also for the same reason isn't even worth discussing because they'll self-extinguish so quickly because they're not going to be building anything. They won't be having kids. They won't be... Oh, I don't think they will self-extinguish. I actually think they're a very dangerous faction. So wait, how are they going to reproduce though? If they're like... No. AI will basically force them to. By that, what I mean is suppose that this iteration of humanity stops having kids and aligned AI will start helping them produce kids, helping nudge them to produce kids, maybe even produce kids through artificial wombs and then give them perfect lives. If the AI sees its entire purpose of giving humans perfect lives, or it may cure death, these no. people just end up living forever. A perfectly aligned AI is not going to allow this faction of humanity to go extinct unless collectively every single human living within this faction decides they want to go extinct. And I just don't see that happening. Nor do I see the aligned AI, which is so much smarter than them, really allowing that to happen. Yikes. Okay. So skin suits includes the pleasure pod people, essentially. Yeah. Basically, they might just be living in pleasure pods. And then the AI is trying to protect them from the other factions of humanity. Okay. Let's um, get to my favorite group, the transhumans. The tra 
transhumanists or whatever. I don't really think, so this final group is the group that I think is the most positive in terms of when we think about the future of the species, but it will involve huge transition and what it means to be human. And it's a group that I have a lot of uh, fears around, because I think that there's going to be a few communities in this group. Okay, let's this go through the subsets. That either integrates with AI socially or integrates with AI biologically or updates their own biology to genuinely compete with AI. And I think mm. that those are the three main factions in this community. There's I think some two. factions will be all three of them. Yeah, there's likely going to be huge overlap of I chose this part or I chose this part. So integrating with AI socially, what does that mean? If you look at even near-term future humanity with phones that can listen to what you're saying all the time, watches that can listen to what you're saying, cameras in your house constantly, you could essentially have local deities programmed into your house that have access to all human information, that can see what your family is doing all the time, and that are working with your family to move you to some sort of goal of self-betterment that's not hedonic. That you could, I guess, families would set their values and the AI, AI yeah, would work with them to push them forwards in their value systems. What do you think? I don't really see many like corporate drivers to that. I don't see why people would move in that direction. I, when well, I think yeah. of social integration with AI, I think of something very different. I think of people leveraging AI to create surrogates of themselves that essentially act as their their outsourced assistant for all DMV calls, parties they don't really want to pay attention. <laughs> and this is the meat puppet faction, right? Uh -huh. So when you're talking about corporate interests, the reason why the meat puppet faction is so dangerous is because they're going to be the majority of humanity because it's what the corporations want. So right? by meat puppet, you mean people who stay very much biologically human as we are today, who just leverage AI to be very lazy. How are they different from the skin suit version, though? That's what I'm talking about, the skin suit oh, version. Oh, okay. They're the Wally people. They're, okay. they, they stop going to parties. They stop leaving the house. because Or they go to parties, but there's just an AI assistant telling them what to say the whole time. Or well, This is the way it starts, right? First, you have an AI assistant go to parties for you, right? Oh, I don't really want to go to this party. I don't really want to go to that party. Then what you realize is you can go in your VR pod that can give you the perfect iteration of the party you had planned on going to. So then you send your AI assistant out to go to the real party. And the real party is just a bunch of AI assistants that are then filtering every social interaction through the idealized iteration of that interaction from your perspective, then filtering it back to your pleasure pod and updating iteratively based on that. The level to which humans will be able to disengage from society as AI advances and as we have AI homunculuses of people, I think is underestimated. Unless you have an AI that's specifically trying to push you to better yourself along some line that's not around a moving emotional pain or increasing personal pleasure. But I think this is going to really, I, one, I don't think that's going to last for very long. People aren't going to bother having their people, their AI surrogates talk with other people's AI surrogates. I just don't really see the point. What I do think is going to happen if is that we're going to see money. if they give them money. No, if it makes them money, you don't if it makes them money, yes. you need to find partners. A lot of the social interaction we do is goal driven. Yes, but I think it's it it only makes sense when you can sufficiently fool someone into thinking that your AI surrogate is you. Once everyone understands that 
they're talking with someone who's not the real you, they're not going to want to deal with that surrogate anymore. And you're going to have to go back to something really low tech. And that's something I think is going to happen. We're going to have a crisis of reality online. We're not going to know what is a deep fake or what's not. We're not going to know what's someone's AI surrogate and what's not. We're not going to know what's real. And so we're going to start moving to very low tech socialization solutions where you are sure maybe it's like an app that can only be used if 100% it's verifying that you are not an AI or people will really emphasize meeting in person more. And we're going to see what I keep talking about with techno feudalism, where you get people who have followings who are trusted being the pivot point around which communities form and they go on vacation together and they meet up around the world or they meet up in their local community and social networks really grow around those in-person events, but also trusted introductions. Like you can trust that this person who's going to talk to you on the phone is going to be real because they're part of my personal network. And based on our honor code, we don't use AI at all. I think you may be right about that, but I suspect this is probably more of a millennial mindset in the same way that people would say things are a boomer mindset or something like that. In the same way that our parents were like, no one will ever have the majority of their social interaction online. (laughs) Everyone knows those aren't real friends. I think that us saying that people won't have AI friends, that people won't prefer AI iterations of other people, the hedonic portion of the human population won't prefer that because those iterations of people never make fun of them. They never tease them. They never, I think you are vastly underestimating or maybe overestimating humanity when (laughs) it presented with the option to undergo no social pain, or at least a big faction of humanity, the faction that is being sold to by these major corporations these days. And I do keep in mind, if we're looking at genetic correlates to IQ right now, I mean, we're looking at variable birth rates in the existing human population, we're probably looking at a one standard deviation decline in IQ over the next 75 years. So the majority of the future human population is going to be much less like sentiently engaged than like you or I might feel, which will make it much easier for them to be controlled by AI. I think you're misreading generational trends. I think that we're seeing a Gen Z that is not only more socially conservative than millennials, but also more technophobic than millennials in many ways. More offline meetings, more flip phones, more Mm. performative disinterest. So could you be describing a faction here that is in between the Amish faction and the meat puppet faction? Yeah, possibly a sort of light engagement with AI, but not heavy engagement with AI. I wouldn't even say, yeah, maybe some light. Yeah, I would call them, I don't know, the raw egg faction. They have (laughs) their chickens, they eat locally grown food, they try to do. And the point I make, I would lump them into the left behind faction. The meat puppet faction and the accelerationist faction, the final faction that we haven't gotten a chance to really delineate, going to so surpass them in terms of economic outcomes and in terms of technological outcomes that they will exist likely largely unmolested by these other groups unless Mm -hmm. they go after these other groups, but they won't be meaningful parts of the human economy. They'll be left behind and eventually become to see or come to be seen as these devolved or stuck in evolutionary history humans that just chose to not accelerate their evolution using gene selection and CRISPR and installation well, I think we'll see the way that today we see groups like the Amish. Oh, no, but what's going to happen though is imagine the Amish, but 
when the rest of society is able to select for height or physical characteristics or intelligence or literally start making their eyes bigger. Okay, so let's, or... let's talk about all these things that you're talking about now, because this is one of the two other iterations of sort of the AI integration faction. So one is socially integrate with it. We talked mm -hmm. about like local house deities, building it into the way they live their daily life to accelerate them, but push them towards something other than hedonism. Then you have the social comfort or anything like that. Then you have the next faction, which is the AI integration faction. This is a faction that is using things like Neuralink, fully integrating with AI. And their consciousness, their sentience, will be part synthetic and part biological. Then you have the final faction, which is the one that you're talking about now, which is the bioaccelerationist. This is a faction that is looking at technology and they say humanity has been a partnership of the synthetic and the biological and the synthetic with tools. And using the synthetic, we were able to adapt our environments so that the biological aspect of humanity didn't have to change for hundreds of thousands of years. So much so that now I think a lot of humans view it as perverse, even suggesting that the biological aspect of humans might change in the future. But to an extent, now this synthetic faction has become so advanced, it's turned around, put a gun to the biological part of our heads and says, okay, catch up or else. If you want to continue to be relevant, catch up. And this is one of the interesting things. The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, one of the things we mentioned is that if animal models are anything to go is it looks like we might be able to increase IQ if we CRISPR on humans, IQ by eight standard deviations a generation. We are talking eight standard deviation increase in IQ would be an entity that experienced that would view us probably the way that we view toddlers or pets. But it would be biological and it would be a quote unquote true descendant of humanity and that it wouldn't be completely biological. And AI could integrate in terms of how do you do this sort of biological advancement better. But where does this faction go? Now that's a different question, right? You could have one iteration of this faction, which is trying to program like genetically build like Ubermensches, which are humans that are basically human, but are bigger, smarter, stronger, everything like that. Then you have another iteration, which is just to say, no, let's just maximize our biology. This faction is basically saying, can I make cheaper computers with like human neural tissue? And they're just building spaceship sized brains. You know, it's like a giant spaceship, but instead of having humans, it's an integration of huge amounts of human neural tissue and a computer oh. with no actual thing that we would recognize as humans. That's so disappointing to me because I really don't like squishy, slimy human biology <laughs> and this idea of that being this maybe more efficient way to make things. You know, I'm just picturing this like floating tumor spaceship, not well, I mean, into why it. Why you hands when you can plug directly into a computer, right? What? Well, um, here's actually something that I wanted to, this may be a little bit of a deviation, but it definitely has to do with our AI future, is a lot of science fiction visionaries have this very cyborg style vision of humans, where it's like part human, part machine. There's, I have a machine eye over here. I've got my machine arm. I really loved in this cyberpunk anime universe, how they really played with the theme of humans actually not integrating really well with 
technology and having a lot of their immune systems were rejecting the need to take tons of drugs just to make them work. And I, uh, by the way, you actually would with existing neuroprotheses. Sorry. That was one of my background areas was brain computer interface. You get astrocytic scar formation. So you yeah. actually need to take immunosuppressors if you're doing most forms of invasive long-term brain computer interfaces right now. Well, and that was one of the reasons why you left the field is you got really excited about brain computer interface. And then you discover lo and behold, there's this huge problem of human and machine integration that they haven't figured out yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder, is my very hopeful future in which I get to start casting off my gross human body, not as likely even in an AGI world as I would hope, because we do have this human machine integration problem. Do you basically have to, as a human- Okay, so let's talk about an upload feature, but I was gonna finish the thought I had before I get to this. Go ahead. the final biological accelerationist faction, they may not be the Ubermensch, giant, beautiful, super intelligent humans. They may not be the just optimized biology, giant flying brains. They may be the sort of Zerg faction. And by that, what I mean is this is a spammy faction. So they would use likely in a world where people cannot motivate humans to breed via any sort of intrinsic motivation. If you look at collapsing birth rates, perhaps you get some sort of AI social integration where the AI is genetically optimizing cheap humans that it's making in artificial wombs and mass producing them, but maybe mass producing them with like deficient proteins and stuff like that. So they have some sort of dedication to a larger hive mind society. And we'll talk about this in a future episode because it's something that I've thought a lot about how companies might go in this direction if you have a collapsing population. Mm -hmm. But now to your question, which is the upload faction of humanity. So this faction of humanity, I think most people wouldn't really consider humans anymore. They might even consider them a form of unaligned AI. And by that, what I mean is it is an AI that is based on a former human consciousness. So they take the human brain, they digitize it, they rebuild the consciousness in a digital space, but that consciousness is not interested in hedonism as it is. I think mostly when people now look at uploads, they're like, oh, they're just going to be all hedonistic and live in these giant forever heavens, basically. However, if you or I was uploaded, we would be very disinterested in that. We would be interested in using our new environment and capabilities to try to enact our objectives for the future, like our objective function at an intergalactic scale. Right. Our lack of biology would actually finally free us from any lingering attachment to hedonism that we currently oh, yeah, suffer we would delete, from, right? Like the yeah. moment I could upload myself, I would delete happiness. I would delete yeah. love. I would yeah. delete... I mean, and this is one of the things that people often miss about us is when we say we're secular Calvinists, a big part of traditionalist Calvinist philosophy, which differentiates it, and we talk about it in the practice of guided crafting religion that differentiates it from other religious traditions, is a lot of religions are like suffering is terrible, so let's end the cycle of suffering, or other religions are like suffering is meant to teach us something, whereas the Calvinist tradition is, oh, all positive and negative emotions are just largely irrelevant, and they guide you towards inefficient outcomes. They are signals. Um, that's it. Signals. Yeah. And the secular perspective is they're just signals that we evolved because our ancestors who had them had more surviving offspring. And the sooner that we can shed these corrupting aspects of us that tie us to our lesser biology, our animal selves, the better. And this is what you mean when you talk about shedding these. So you want to be basically like Gladys 
from the Portal series. Sign me up. Um, where she's like, oh, I found that last human part of myself deleted. Um, <laughs> That's the dream. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. my gosh. You genuinely are my Gladys. And so you guys who don't know her personally, you may think that this is like a joke or an affectation. She really is deeply uncomfortable with her biological self. And deeply. She would become, I think, what people would call an unaligned AI. Or they may... <laughs> it'd be very Gladys-like, except interested in intergalactic expansion. Gladys would be too. She wasn't trapped. Jeez. And what I'd love to do in a future episode is AI religion, because I think that's mm. a really interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. So then the final thing is, okay, everything that we've talked about here sounds very crazy. It sounds very out there. Humanity really can't change that much because of AI or that quickly because of AI. So I just want people to think about just the AI we almost have already, okay? We know we can create deepfakes. We know we can create AI that can simulate humans enough that a lot of humans want to date it. Like that was, Replica did that for a while. That's going to come back, right? A generation from now, two generations now, like foreseeable future. I think any reasonable person is going to say that there will be AIs that can be better from a hedonistic perspective, boyfriends or girlfriends to the vast majority of humanity than that iteration of humanity can get with a real boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm not going to say, so let's not be perfect. It's not going to be better than the perfect boyfriend or girlfriend, but it will be better than the realistic people who will date these people. When we're talking about like bottom half of intelligence, bottom half of beauty people, right? It's very hard for this portion of the population to find people to date. So this AI, in a world where kids grow up and their friends are AI and people who they know online turn out to be AI and they don't see this same strong differentiation between AI and humans that we do, what portion of humans does that peel out? When humans can put themselves in VR environments and not have to experience social rejection, not have to experience the trials of daily life, not have to experience failure really, or experience failure that's perfectly optimized around them feeling contentment, what portion of humanity chooses to do that? I think a big portion of humanity, once we make that inexpensive, because you're dealing with a limited cost to run these. So I think 70% of humanity ends up dating AI, ends up going through this. That is going to have a permanent genetic effect on the human population because you have cut out every human that's mind was predominated by hedonistic concerns from the gene pool. The only humans that are still around are the humans that are driven by some sort of external ideology. And yeah, freaks like us. People like us. Oh. I think that this is what people today would call religious extremists. And I think yeah. from most people's perspective, we are religious extremists. And I think when I look at our genetic history, we are religious extremists. Your family <laughs> keeps getting involved in cults. My family has been preachers for many generations. And we have a very religious extremist sort of interpretation. So I think we have the genetic code that would normally be associated with religious extremism in previous generations. And I suspect that this is the type of code that's going to get through the eye of AI girlfriends. Now, people can disagree. I'd actually love in the comments... What other sorts of like pre-programmed genetic proclivities do you think are going to be able to resist AI girlfriends and perfect VR environments? And keep in mind, people will say you could have general utilitarians, right? That want to make life better for everyone. But, um, you know, you have one general utilitarian 
who's open to living this lifestyle themselves. One Jeff Bezos, one, I don't think Elon Musk is a general utilitarian. I think he's much more aligned with us than other people. But I think uh, if you take a Jeff Bezos or a Bill Gates, who seem to be pretty generally utilitarians, like especially a Bill Gates, right? He can put himself in a pod, live the perfect life. That pod is going to have fixed maintenance costs. When you divide his money across the rest of the population, especially a falling population in terms of human numbers, he can put millions of people in pods. I don't think that financial concerns will be an issue as to whether or not you choose the pod option. Yeah, no, I think it'll be available to people. You're also, then again, I, like my point, I just don't think that AI, we'll say AGI that wears humans as a suit would have a reason to make more humans like that unless they felt that their objective function revolved around printing more of them. But I think it would maybe just more extend their lives or digitize them. So I, I really think that it's more likely that our AI future will basically see a blossoming of robosexuality and then an absence of it. And oh, then no, no, I agree with that as well. You'll see the blossoming of robosexuality and then it just will completely die out because mm -hmm. either these people will have digitized themselves or put themselves in pods or gone extinct because they were dating AI girlfriends. And so the portion of humanity that survives in this sort of aligned world will be highly genetically resistant. Yeah. I say genetically portions of our sociological profiles have a genetic component. And so the humans that were the most extreme in that component will eventually be the only ones that survive when we're talking 10, hundred generations. That's going to be a very different type of human than the human we have today. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think we're downplaying just how different humans are going to be. I think we're going to see full out speciation that is accelerated very quickly due to AGI. And I don't think it's just going to be the technophilic humans and the Luddite humans. I think it's going to be the Luddite humans and then five different flavors of technophilic humans. I think the technophilic humans will make up the minority of humans today. I think the humans that sort themselves into this technophilic branch will be two to 3% of the world's population today. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say. It's easy to imagine a world in which meat puppet sex, for example, disappears and people primarily reproduce using IVF and artificial wombs, both to optimizing it. And because once, once there is a perfection of virtual sex, it's going to be so disgusting and weird to do meat puppet sex that people won't want yeah. to do it. But then I could also very easily see a world in which humans get really hipstery and snobby about meat puppet sex, like in the Matrix, where they're like, I was made naturally. You know what I mean? Oh, no, I don't think so. Because those people would never have high amounts of economic it, it, success and success. therefore not yeah so if you don't have economic success then you just your idea isn't going to become aspirational you yeah. could say that they've hampered themselves so you could have a few like old hatsburg like rich families that are all done through like meat sex but i don't think it would be the majority of of the economic system would be controlled by individuals like that yeah. And when you talk about speciation, I think a lot of people can hear this and they're like, what a horrible thing to say about our species. But if we ever become an interplanetary species and we, it turns out that faster than light travel isn't possible, which I think probably it isn't, it, it, without time travel also being possible to some extent. So if faster than light travel isn't possible, you will definitely have speciation in humans' future. Because you are going to have local breeding populations on the different planets that will um, have different environmental pressures. And it's not intermixing because you yeah, would need faster than light travel. That'll lead to very quick speciation. If you look at how quickly the human genome can change, like I was just talking about, like how quickly IQ can change, humans within just 500 to 1,000 years on different planets will look very different from each other. And this is why I think that 
concepts today like racism are going to look so silly when you look at how similar I am from the most genetically distant human to us today. When we think about where humanity is going to be at 5,000, 10,000 years, the diversity of humans is going to be so great that the sort of all 1.0 humans are just going to be basically the same thing to everyone. And right. I think that this is one of those things where it's really interesting when people, because we talk about what humans have heritable or we talk about gene selection or gene editing. They're like, oh, you must be racist. And I'm like, oh my God, our views are offensive, but not in that way. Like we are so many levels beyond that in terms of the way that our thinking about the future of humanity is, is it just shows how trapped people are in their current political fights. Yeah, um, they have no that, idea how differentiated we're going to be. They have no idea where our species is going. No mm. idea how quickly we're going to get there. And it's interesting to us because we're so public about this. A lot of people who are working on these sorts of technology under the radar that they think could be legislated against, you know, they come to us. So we have a view of what's coming through the pipeline. And it is dramatically more than you think. I'm excited for it. Sad that maybe I don't get to become a cyborg as early as I would like. Hey, they'll be trained on our books. That'll be better than us anyway. Our kids will be better than us anyway. I'll just die. So it's fine. Our books become irrelevant. Yeah. (laughs) But that means they weren't good ideas, right? You know, they'll train them on something better. Exactly. Our kids' books, hopefully. We're okay. We're okay with all that temporary ephemeral nature. Just glad to live now because we get to see some major change. I am so lucky that I am married to such a weirdo as Simone because I wouldn't be able to have these conversations with anyone else. Uh, Well, I do have these conversations with other people, but they, it's so weird that we have such aligned, like we have aligned ourselves so much through all our conversations. And yet this alignment is something I don't see in most people I talk to. Like there's a small portion of the pronatalist movement that's like, okay, sort of aligned with us. But I, I can't believe that I found the one weirdo to marry me who doesn't think that this is all crazy. Malcolm Collins, you are the butter to my bread. I love talking with you so much. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Well, you're the butter so to my fun. biscuits. Oh, you know just what to say. <laughs>